2: Full contact, in association with Mitsubishi Motors. The Telegraph Telegraph. podcasts.
3: Hello, and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors. The quarterfinals of this year's Rugby World Cup are starting to take shape and those involved are now focusing their attention on trying to achieve either top spot or runners-up. England overcame their first Tier 1 test with ease on Saturday morning when they thrashed Argentina. Mind you, Argentina were down to 14 men, but that's their own fault, frankly. Um, They've got a spot in the quarters, which means they've gone one better than last time in their home World Cup and uh, World Cup winner Mike Tindall will be joining us on to reflect on the win for Eddie Jones' side. Next up for England, it's France, who themselves have qualified for the next round with a narrow win over Tonga. The former French coach and player, Philippe St-Andre, will speak to us about which French side he thinks will show up and also about a rift. Could it be that they've fallen out again? Just like the Dutch football team they are, not there. A rift between playing and coaching staff. All up for grabs in Pool A. Japan, Scotland, and Ireland, they're fighting it out for two quarter final spots. Later on, I'll be going through the permutations, and let me tell you, it takes some getting used to. So, when we get to that spot, listen carefully. Scotland, well, it's quite simple. They need maximum points from the last two games to stand any chance of progressing. We'll be speaking to their former fullback, Hugo Southwell, about how they're shaping up heading into both games. But I'm delighted to say that once again, I'm joined in the studio by the former Springbok captain and World Cup winner, Bob Skinstad. Hello, Bob. How are you going, Ron? I'm okay, mate. Last time we spoke, I think it was before the tournament, uh, we're now getting to the end of the pool phases. What have you made of the competition in general so far?
2: Look, I I think divided in two, one, there's what's happened on the field and there's what's happened off the field. I think off the field, the fans, the country... Everybody in World Rugby has said this is one of the best ever. You know, it's just you can see these amazing images all over the web of people singing songs and going bananas all around Japan. That's been brilliant and well handled and well done to World Rugby and and the hosts. On the field, I think we've seen some really good performances. We've seen, uh, you know, the All Blacks at their sublime best most recently, but against Namibia. You know, hard to judge if if, if that's what we can see um, going forward. And then I've, we've seen some upsets. I mean, you know, didn't Japan surprise the world um, with, with their wonderful win against Ireland? And well, then, has
3: it been a bigger moment than that for you so far?
2: No, that's, that's definitely the moment of this World Cup. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, everybody says, uh, you know, South Africa losing to Japan, one of the biggest in world sport. And it certainly was. I think this is up there. This, this is an amazing moment for the country, for the players and, and the way they played and the way they did it. And then the way they've actually hammered it home in the yes. subsequent games. You know, haven't they played beautifully?
3: I'll tell you what's interesting. Whilst we've had tension-laden games because of the draw, you can't say many teams have hit top strap. You know, New Zealand, maybe. Um, but after that, I'm struggling to think of a side that's really done themselves justice as to what I thought and probably they think
2: they could achieve. Absolutely. And it's a well-made point. I mean, I think our, our initial conversation here was, you know, England have done an island in, in, in these warm-up games. The island we see at the World Cup, will it be a different island? Will they be, you know, hitting their straps? Have they kept a lot in reserve? You know what? absolutely the same as what we saw at Twickenham. They've they're all been, over the place. They've been lacklustre. They, they've, they've looked as if they're sort of headless chickens on attack. Defensively, they've been frail. And, and I was really hoping that they'd be a side who would who'd really challenge, make a mark, and be the kind of side who could lie and wait for either South Africa or New Zealand at the quarterfinals and be the team to have the upset of the tournament then. But it looks like now, you know, they're still battling to get out of their pool.
3: Yeah. Well, unfortunately, refereeing has been a big talking point. Not that it's ever far away in Rugby Union because of the way the laws are deliberately framed to give referees some discretion, without which they say they'd be blowing up at every conceivable opportunity. We'll chat uh, to you in depth about that uh, in a short second. But we spoke to Jonathan Kaplan, who you know well, and he said the referees need to be coached better. Um, What do you make of that comment and the Overall issue. You
2: know, I mean... Everybody needs to be coached better. You know, everybody needs to improve at everything. You know, so yeah. it's a bit of a nothing comment. I mean, I know Jonathan. He's an outstanding referee. He's been, you know, at the, uh, was at the top of his game for a long, long time. And and I think he's probably just treading carefully. He's just saying, you know, things could be done to make it better. But we all know that. You know, and and the public. I think there's a bit of growing unrest uh, amongst the public, not necessarily with the standard of refereeing, just the the the, the high inconsistency level mm-hmm. on a game to game basis. And and we're seeing it because rugby. You know, and and um, this is always going to be subjective because any any fan based endeavour is subjective. But you know, we'll all look in from the outside and say, you know, you and I will disagree about a scrum or a line out or, or a tackled area or whatever because there's so many nuances. But we have to collectively get it right so that the fans can have the best possible outcome.
3: Well, a couple of points: the holy grail of total consistency is impossible. No, no, no. Sport, Agreed. Even where. The laws or rules are much more prescriptive ever gets that because human beings are involved and that's always going to make that. What I think is less forgivable is I can understand officials in the heat of a game taking a particular view because they are influenced by the way the game's going and the moment and so on. It's when it comes to citing mm. and people have been able to sit back, they're not even involved in the game, they're disinterested parties, able to look at footage again and again and again, and then when you see what you think are fairly bang-on, consistent incidents that are dealt with differently, that's when I have much more of a problem.
2: I, I couldn't agree more. I, I'm going to bring something up here which um, might be a little bit controversial. So, so I learned after playing at an international level and captaining at international level that the TMOs... Language that he used governed a form of communication between the referees that was unsaid. So if a referee had said, let's, let's just say, Bob's tackled Brian, it's high, you know, um, but I'm comfortable that Brian was standing low in the tackle, okay, it's a penalty. And the TMO then said, let's just have a look at another angle. What he meant was, you're wrong. I think that it's a yellow card, I'd like to show you another angle, but have a think about your decision again. Well, why not say that? Well, exactly. And, and my point is what they were doing, and, and this is where part of what we're talking about has all stemmed, is they're protecting the officials who are there because of the position. Now, well, what, rugby, but, they need to protect their staff. I get it. Yeah, but Bob, but I, remember tell you, but I tell you what,
3: everybody knows <laughs> that it's a difficult job on the field. Of course. Everybody knows you can miss something, etc. I genuinely do not think anyone says, you said that, it's now shown to be that, you're an idiot, don't ever refer again. No. You have much more respect if you say, actually, on reflection, when I've been at a seat, again, now you've given me another angle,
2: yep. then I'm changing my mind. Yep. I don't think anyone thinks that's a problem. The, 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 the the politicking nature of sports and sports officials is such that what they're trying to do is just maintain a decorum that allows them to be protectable. Now, I, I, I think World Rugby do an incredible job, an incredible job of, of spreading the game, etc. I think they've got this little bit incorrect. I went in and did uh, some research on the NFL. They've, it's not an independent body, but they've got independent assessments of every referee after every game. Not general performance, every single Decision that they make now in NFL there are more stop starts we know that but if they can do it for NFL we could do it for right. rugby because there would be a collective number or average per game of refereeing decisions that are made and are we getting feedback we saying he's he's picked up three out of seven forward passes has that affected the game materially you know and and I just I just believe we need to be what there. do they do with that information do you know the NFL goes straight back there's a senior commissioner of of um, uh, the relationship between the referees and the league, and then the referees are judged independently by their own body. So, so the league, you know, you can't have a coach going across them and saying, "Are oh, you treating me badly?" Or and so they can be demoted or oh, absolutely, just move yeah, around fired. Well. Even I mean, they, you know, it's 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 a highly. They, last year, in a in a in a study commission, 2018, sorry, they got 97.6 percent of the of the decisions correct as by, as agreed by all parties. Wow. I mean, you know, and, they and are helped a little bit by the fact that
3: the the laws of American football are. Yeah, you're right. They call no, them, I'm, I'm not are, trying to change our laws. More no.
2: black and white. Yes, they are. They are. But things like the nuances of a, f- of a forward pass—if you've got a framework to judge him with—we can get it right. Yes, absolutely.
3: A lot of people talking about. Well, it's not a new tackle law. It's a <laughs> reinstatement of what's always been there. Some of the sections of the media, some ex-players even, are saying that they feel things are going in the wrong direction it could ruin the game and I saw this widely touted over social media and I know that that's not the be-all and end-all you know after the Argentina game the fans suffered know, it ruined the game but let me just put my point of view players can tackle in any way they want they're responsible for the height at which they start tackles if they make a referee make a decision because they've started too high and they get a verdict which they think is wrong and a sanction which they think is wrong, then they can't complain because they could have started lower. And it's not until coaches start telling them, they start telling each other, and it's made in their self-interest to do this that they will change because I heard a, a proposal to have an orange card where, all right, the guy goes off, but after 20 minutes or 30 minutes, a guy comes on, so it evens it back up. And I just made the point, if you do that, you won't get any reds. Everyone will give oranges. Of course. And by the way, it's not until you suffer... It, it is it, it is bad for the fans, and it does end the contest in a certain aspects, but that's the sort of sanction you need. It's quite... I mean, this is not a new initiative. This has been going on now for 12 months, and they're still not learning. And you wonder, what's, what's it going to take? Because it's not just for the good of the game and safety and all sorts of other things... It's to stop, potentially, your lawsuits, which would which would, which would would ruin the game. So.
2: Oh, they, they'd cripple the game. I mean, you, you know, you've know, you made three or four points there, all of which I agree with. The, the players, I, I count myself as an ex-player with a boy who plays the game, are getting so more, I. Yeah,
3: Absolutely are getting more
2: and more worried about the effects of the physical contact of rugby not necessarily just because it's rugby. You know, there's a side to And not to that, just that's concussion rugby. either. No, exactly. Con- you know, concussion uh, uh, allowed with injuries and those kind of things that are happening is making rugby a very, very, very abrasive, difficult game to sell. Oh. You know, and world rugby are very aware of that. And my thing is, it was a great stat. So, in, in um, at the World Cup that we played in 2007, which was 12 years later than the 1995 um, World Cup, which had been won in South Africa, that year's under 18 South African schools team were bigger to a man than yes. the men who represented South Africa in 1995. Now, if you just think about that, they're also faster. And just the collision fitter. that they're going through, fitter, stronger, more professional, supposedly, and more high-impact games, okay? So there are bigger collisions anyway. If we don't get rid of the head collisions, we're going to be losing players left, oh. right, and center, and we're going to have these long So my thing is, let the ref, let make, let's make this the World Cup where it stands out for red cards. And if the coaches are smart, they'll make sure the next one is where it stands out for no red cards, Ooh. because they've taught their players properly to tackle low, you know, to 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 interact with the opposition in a way that doesn't endanger the players. I mean, rugby is a game that I love with all my heart, but there are elements of rugby that are seriously da- dangerous. Well,
3: I'll just I'll, I'll just make a few points before we we move on. First of all, I reiterate the point: this hasn't been sprung on players. Not at all. all coaches, You're right. It's an ongoing process. They've just reinforced it. I don't know why they've not learned before now. They learnt with the you know the 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 tackling the air fairly quickly and it shows they can do if they Absolutely. want to. Secondly, this point. If you're the sort of person who believes that rugby is about big boshing and the game is somehow denuded because of that, go and go and watch MMA. Because rugby from all decades prior to this and today is perfectly exciting, thrilling and so on, tense or whatever you everything you want with people tackling in a different manner and not having these high shots. Absolutely. You know, Japan have shown to a man you can do it effectively. Individual players in every single team have shown you can tackle effectively and still hard. And the purpose, the final point of to make, the purpose for rugby is for a game for everyone to play of all shapes and sizes, which is about running, passing, yes, tackling to a, to a degree, and scoring tries. That's what it's about. It's not about allowing techniques for macho people to come and bosh each other. Absolutely. Where, do, oh, where, where is it? What, what do you gain from that, apart from the small satisfaction that occasionally someone gets mullered? And by the way, even if they get mulled just below level, do you want to see them injured? No. Is that no, you, all about? No, it's a, it's a great just... point, and
2: I agree. And and in fact, the best games of rugby are with a big physical pack. Look at England; they've got a big physical pack, but their best rugby they're playing is where it's forwards and backs combining, and the winger is offloading, scoring in the corner, passing, offloading, absolutely. passing brilliant.
3: Now, to discuss England and in particular their win over Argentina. Some people are frustrated, they're not quite clicking, and yet they're averaging over six tries a game. Why don't we speak to someone who should know? Mike Tyndall, the 2003 World Cup winning centre, is on the line. Hello, Mike. Hello, mate. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, Another bonus point, when England is averaging just over six tries a game and yet a lot of people, me included actually, have felt that there's more to come. They haven't quite clicked. What did you make of the performance?
1: What you could say about them is they've they've been workmanlike. They've got the jobs done. They look strong. They've been in control. All nice words, but you still haven't haven't come away from a game going, we are definitely in this tournament to win it. We are definitely going. we, We are the team to beat, which... Is a place to be in, but also a frustrating place for fans because you want you want to drag them into that sort of utopia of uh, of you actually get supporting a team that's going to win. But um, yeah, I think I, I think obviously the game might have been spoiled a little bit by by the red card in, in terms of you know it just it took the sting out of of Argentina and made it very comfortable for us.
3: I mean, what I mean, one of the reasons I think. Um, Perhaps simplified. I don't consider they've played the starting fifteen yet, and I, and I suspect, given the fact that both them and France are through, we may not see that until we get to a quarter final. What do you think?
1: Yeah, well, I agree. I'm, I'm still not entirely sure what his thoughts are. When you know when uh, he brought Ford off and then and put Farrell on and had Slade. I I still like Slade, but I don't think he's been really fully fit, and mm. um, he looked better on the weekend. Um, I'd still like to see. Anthony, i personally would like to see Anthony Watson play fullback. Still, I still don't know whether we know definitely what's going on in the back row, I'll stick with Curry and, and Underhill. Uh, I, that's where it's a good way to be. But, but my worry about going into that was going into that Argentina game was was the fact that you know with the first, we really didn't show anything. So that when we had to ramp it up, we you know there were a lot of mistakes still on the weekend. But I think that's caught all the teams out in terms of how. Slippy the ball must be out there. I know. I know it's no excuse, but every team seems to be suffering handling errors that wouldn't wouldn't normally happen. It would just seem that they were just so controlled. They still put a lot of ball behind, even when they were clearly quite dominant. I quite likely, let see them loosen the shackles a little bit, but and maybe that's not the way it's going to be in this tournament for them. Um,
2: Mike, one thing, just the uh, it's Bobskin said here. Sorry, how are you, mate? Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, very good. Good to chat to you. And and you made a point there about the slippery ball. I mean, we, we saw in some Super Rugby. You know, when we had the Japanese side come into it, that any games in Singapore, uh, Tokyo, we, we've seen it with some of the Barbar's games in Hong Kong. You know, the humidity is such that, that it creates a much more difficult a you know, ball to hang on to. We've seen quite a lot of the 9s the and 10s with some, some aerial assaults. Do you think it's going to play a big factor from quarterfinals on?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's sort of uh, a set-in now. I think, you know, those, the sort of freebie calls off, off penalties oh, it seems to be a safe bet. A lot of defences are playing very hard-rushed defences, so the cross-field kick works against that. Obviously, the Kiwi try jumps to mind against South Africa. Um, I think, you know, with that slippery ball and with that potential you're seeing a lot more box kicking and that those box kicks have got to be for for competition so i think you're right i think you are going to see it sort of go down that route um I, I, well, you say that but Japan haven't done that and seem to get a job done, so uh, I am I'm enjoying watching Japan. They very, very and I suppose Fiji as well, they very rarely kick, but you know, Fiji made so many handling errors in that Uruguay game, which they would never normally do and they you know, they should have walked in about another six tries. But um yeah, I think that's that is what you're gonna see. You are gonna see a strong kicking focused game and then get in the right areas and then try and play the phases. But uh, um, you know, I, I still think there's the, the, the fortune favours the brave, I'm hoping, and you'll still see people trying to p- play and offload and, and get that game going too.
3: Uh, final question, Mike. A bit of an unfair one in this sense, because it involves uh, predicting what the French will do against England. <laughs> <laughs> so I realise I've given you a bit of a hospital pass, but what, but what, if anything, are you expecting?
1: Uh, who, who knows? Um, look, I, I hope that, y- you know, you get a great, a great French performance come out that really challenges our lads. Cause I, th- I think, I think we need that. I think yeah, we I need agree, that yeah. kickstarters. Uh, kick and so hmm. the problem is, is you, you just can't predict it. You hope um, that, that you almost need them to have a great first 10 minutes and really get into this game, maybe have some big hits and, and really sort of feel like they're taking it to our boys. I think, and then if, if they can do that, I think we'll be in for a game. And, um, you know there's there's been just moments of genius through, from this french team throughout the, the sort of the the pre-season games and then into this world cup but then there's just been the the typical <laughs> complete other side of it and um all we can hope for is they get out of the right side of bed on Saturday and, yeah. and they 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 come and have a go at us and 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 try and play with that unpredictability that French that that we have seen in bits from this group of players and i really sort of like the group of players they've got together at the moment uh, and if we can if we can do that they can they could definitely give us a game and um, and it'd be just nice to see us have to. Come out, I don't want to say comfort zone because that's, that's sort of disrespectful, but come out of the uh, control element where we where we know we can take a team and just control them and put them back in the same areas and squeeze them. I'd like to see it have to do a little bit different and maybe have to force us to play a little bit of a different way, which ultimately we will probably have to do further down the tournament in the latter stages.
3: Well, I'm going to leave it there, but thanks you very much for joining us. Thanks, mate.
1: Uh, Cheers, guys. Have
3: a good day. Uh, very quickly, Bob. Uh, England. Um, as I said, it's been difficult to judge them because, uh, for various reasons, the challenges have not been quite what we thought they were going to be. We haven't seen, as far as I'm concerned, the first, the starting fifteen, or, or or anything close to that. How do you assess how they're going? I mean, on the one hand, you know they're, they're averaging over six tries a game and they're dispatching opponents fairly, fairly well. But the, you know, people are frustrated.
2: Yeah, it's a funny one. I, I think people are frustrated for a combination of things. You, you, you know, Mike was saying there there was still a lot of handling errors, even though we had the space in the second half. In the first half, we had the space, we didn't use it. You know, that that's that's frustrating me as an ex-player. So uh, I'm looking at it saying, you know, if they haven't put their number one fifteen out, then the rest of the tournament might be in trouble because cause the guys are out there are doing the job. You know, um, look at look at um, Curry and and, and Underhill. Um, with Vunipala, the, you know the way they're they're making a, a a go of of this new combination of the three members of the back row um you've you, you got courtney laws on the bench you know i mean we know Mario tojo's been um so good but it, what a what a chance for a and cruz to to you know, combine now. Of course, everybody talks front five. That's the anchor, yeah. But also back five well, because those guys are going to be stealing a ball. They're going to be. They're also the oppos- the, the other supporter in the line-out when you're jumping at the back. So, those are those are big tactical and strategic parts of a game that Eddie will be saying I'm really happy with that you know a, a, a drop ball or a slippery ball in in these games he's not going to worry nearly as much as, as a frustrated fan who's two pints in and he wants to see <laughs> uh, he wants to see England dominate Argentina but you know I, I think they've been really good I, I, I do I think that the, the Ford-Farrell axis everybody was not sure if that's what was going to happen were we going to see more of Slade or maybe Watson in there or I like Mike's suggestion of of, of Watson at fullback I think he's an outstanding player but you know when you start having international teams that you don't know where to fit players in, makes a big difference.
3: Well, France have qualified. I wonder, actually, now uh, that England and France have qualified, whether they'll be tempted to pick teams which are not necessarily the starting 15s. Why don't we ask, certainly from a French point of view, someone who uh, might well know, he's a regular contributor to this podcast. I'd say... An acquaintance, not, not perhaps a friend, in, in other times he might have been a friend. It's Philippe Saint-André, the former French player and head coach. Hello, Philippe. Hello, Brian. The win over Tonga, 23-21. In, in some ways, I would say, a, a typically French performance, raced into a 17-point lead, looked very good and then made it difficult. Um, any sign... Of this uh, inconsistency ending.
4: To be honest, we don't know h- anymore, do you know. I think we are we are pleased, and the French team are qualifying the quarterfinal of the World Cup. But uh, we did forty minutes good against our, against Argentina, and after nothing. we did fifteen minutes against America after. Uh, after one hour, so we were struggling, and and against against uh, Tonga, we we did okay 15 minutes, and after we switched off completely. So we are happy to be qualified, and now just uh, we're looking forward to the game against England, just to see if the guys can front up and and play during uh, during 80 minutes, you know.
2: Uh, Philip Bob here. Nice to chat to you. I, I'm just wondering, do you think that they might change the team around against England? Are we going to see more advantage for them post this game than than actually pre?
4: Uh, this is this is a good question, you know, because uh, we uh, we don't know if uh, if the coach will will pick the this best uh, this best fifteen. Uh, Against England, or if he rests a few players and uh, just try with them to 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 be to be fresh for the final against Wales and uh, what it's war, it's uh, it's more we play more the guys look uh, tired, no fresh, not sharp at all you know uh, the first fr- friendly game see, after the the preparation against was against Scotland, and the guys was looking sharp. Mm. And uh, yeah, they look worse and worse. So, so, so we don't know. We don't know. Uh, we know also that Emirado is a captain of the team, but uh, at the moment he is more on the bench than to than to start the game. So, it's a lot of um, question about uh, who will start against uh, against England uh, next Saturday.
3: I just want to take up the point about uh, Gerardo. I mean I spoke to Mark Leve um, to uh, Olivia Mania in Waikiki Island in 2011. He was telling me all about the machinations behind the scenes with Levemon the players and so on. It seems that uh, this is happening again cuz Midi Olympique uh, this morning is saying that Gerardo is no longer the technical staff's captain. On the other hand, he remains the players' captain. Now, how big a story is this? Are we making too much of it, or, or is it something that's quite uh, that's quite important?
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read also the Midi Olympic this morning. He looks like uh, uh, Guillaume Gerardo, and uh, he, he, he will stop uh, the international rugby after this World Cup, and he's. Uh, the captain players and is it's a, he, he have a lot of charisma and he's very important in the squad. But he looks like uh, he have some re, p- relation uh, p- problem of relationship with with Fabien Galtier But this he he don't come from uh, from now. He come from. Uh, 18, minutes, 18 months ago, when uh, Galtier was coach of Toulon and Guillaume Girado was a captain of Toulon, so um, I just hope, you know, that uh, Guillaume Girado will uh, will start against England because I think it's very important about leadership and uh, that your your captain is is in the starting fifteen because if not, all the players are quite confused and it's uh, it 's not a good signal to give to to the players and to the supporters
2: and, and and given the fact that the signals might be mixed what what would be a good result out of this game against England
4: a good result will be then, uh, that we try to be very consistent during eighty minutes we don't uh, we don't expect uh, to to beat england uh, england uh, I think they didn't have one tough game since the beginning of the of the group. They won easily uh, the three games. just hope that the, the French team can compete against England, but more intensity and and be consistent during 80 minutes, and just to 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 bring some confidence in the in the squad to uh, to have some hope in the in the quarterfinal of the of the World Cup. So uh, I think this is uh, is most important. It's uh, how the French team will play. Just also try to to, to keep the ball to be dangerous. Uh, we showed this against Argentina during 40 minutes. So it was a big up, and since you know uh, we didn't see any, anything since uh, since the first game uh, of, of the opening against against Argentina.
3: A final question, Philippe, before you go. Whichever way. The results turn out it, not not an easy path, and nor should it be at this stage of a World Cup. But you're looking at either Australia or Wales, then South Africa or New Zealand, presu- presuming that the results go the right way. Is there they, any thing that any combination the French would prefer?
4: I think to be to be honest, I think uh, they will probably prefer play against Wales, you know, because. they... Uh, uh, they know they know well the, the welsh teams they, they, sh- they show uh, during the six nations the last two years one times we beat them uh one time we lost uh, against them, but it was very very close and uh I think this- I think for for this, you know, uh, uh, maybe a few guys quite uh, important in the squad but looks not fresh. Maybe they they will have a rest or they will be on the bench against... uh, get england uh, next Saturday because the problem in French rugby and don't come from now but for the last ten years mm-hmm. it's, uh, uh, the, uh, we prepare players to play uh, top fourteen or it's eleven months of competition so we are like uh, four by four you know <laughs> and uh, and uh, and international rugby is Formula one <laughs> But we are not a Formula one you know and uh, and this this is a big problem in the, in our in our French rugby we don't do speed in the club. We, uh, we, we 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 coach and we train because it's a long, long competition. And uh, uh, and at the moment, the, the international uh, rugby and the top 14 is two different sports.
3: Uh, I've heard that said before, but um, and you've made that point consistently. Uh, we, will, we will see. But uh, thank you very much. It's great to speak to you once again, Philippe. Saint-Torre.
4: Thank you very much. Take care. Bye bye.
3: Philip, not sounding too uh, too optimistic there. Interesting analogy. Um, talking about playing Wales, I mean they've they've won one out of the last ga- eight games against Wales. So even about coming close, it's I, I don't know whichever way you you look at the draw at this time of a competition, you're, you 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 should you should be you should be facing these sorts of games so that uh, so that you feel you've earned it. and yeah, I suppose in the end.
2: Oh, absolutely. We, it goes back to what we said, you know, players that lose pool, pool games haven't won World Cups before, you know, so it's about that critical momentum. I mean, his comment to me was, was ringing out. He said, we're not expecting to beat England. Mm. We're just hoping to sort of shuffle through and, and, mm. and get some form of consistency first. That doesn't sound like someone you, you'd be scared to take on in a quarterfinal, but the problem with the French is when they're not supposed to turn up, they, yes. they do. Yes, yes. <laughs>
3: Right, pay attention, Uh, and our next guest, pay attention, because these are permutations for Pool A. Japan will win the pool with a win over Scotland, and Ireland will qualify regardless with a win over Samoa. Uh, assuming, and here's an assumption, that Ireland beat Samoa and Scotland beat Russia with a bonus point, Japan will be out if they lose to Scotland via the head-to-head results. If Japan get a losing bonus point against Scotland, the Scots will have to get a winning bonus point to go through, and this would eliminate Ireland. If Ireland beats Samoa without a bonus point, there's a likelihood that three teams will finish on 15 points, and then the pool will come down two points difference. But, and here's the rider, the Island and Samoa game this weekend is perhaps under major threat because it's been reported that there's a typhoon brewing off the South Island and if the game is cancelled, the match is ruled a nil-nil draw. Which will put Scotland through, even if the game goes ahead and the conditions could make Ireland's attempt to get a bonus point very, very difficult. So, what do you make of that? I'll ask Bob in a minute because I'll give him an extra time to cogitate that. No time for our next guest because he's a bright guy and he will have known all this anyway. Hugo Southwell, the former Scotland fullback, is on the line. Hello, Hugo. Hi, Brian. How's it going? It's uh, not straightforward, is it? I mean, from a from a Scotland point of view it is in the sense you need two bonus point wins but uh, the rest of the group itself has been so all over the place how are you feeling about that?
0: Well I was going to say uh, with with Scotland's performances of late they've still got a win against Russia so uh, otherwise uh, this all goes out the window Um, obviously you know, their focus now is this Russian game uh, on Wednesday. They've got uh, they've made 14 changes, as we've seen uh, this morning. Um, it was going to happen. Their focus is now on that Japan game. But they need to keep... Uh, we saw what happened in the Ireland game against uh, Russia. They, they really struggled to sort of get over the line quickly. It's going to be a grind. They're a hard team to beat, uh, a hard team to get four tries against. And Scotland have to have that as a focus. But providing that happens... Uh, and there is a providing on that because of all the changes that are being made. Then, you know, it's it's it, it, it's still there for the taking for Scotland. I think whether whether Japan Japan have put so much into this World Cup, uh, you, you sort of feel that uh, if Scotland can perform at the level uh, that that we know they can, at their hundred percent best, I still think it's uh, it's very doable for Scotland. But that is the big if because they've been so inconsistent.
2: Hugo Bob, yeah, the, the the Japan game is going to present something different. Um, in as much as, as it will be the final game of all the pool stages, you know the, the extra pressure, um, they will have had a chance now to digest whether they've beaten Russia, and I'm assuming it's a five-point win for Scotland against Russia. Um, Japan have had a, will have had a much longer break. How do they change how they approach this game, knowing that it's, a, it's an all or nothing? You know? A loss or even a draw there means they're out
0: yeah i think it's a difficult one i mean i think all the momentum is with with japan at the moment and that's that's why it's difficult obviously home home nation uh, playing in front of uh, I mean, the crowds has been absolutely outstanding it's been amazing to watch uh the, the japanese public get behind their team and, and rightly so i i think for for scotland um it <laughs> I still think they can do it, but I think it's going to be a very difficult task because I think their consistency and their, their, their performance levels uh, across the World Cup have been, you know, against Ireland, they were absolutely uh, atrocious. Then they turned up against Samoa. I, I wonder, um, and I stand to be corrected, and I hope I'm corrected, that they can perform uh, for another two games at the level they know they need to to get through. Um, uh, if they can stop i think I think the biggest thing for me against the Japanese side, if you stop them at source, if you slow down their ball, obviously they 're trying to play quick rugby uh, when they get quick ball they 're absolutely lethal um, if you can If you can stop them at source, I think Scotland will go a long way to uh, to winning that game, whether they can win it by more than seven points, which is looking likely it 's going to need to be it uh, is very difficult to tell.
2: Well, win it by more than seven points and hope that Ireland don't pick up the bonus points, so that they can take on New Zealand in the quarterfinals. Surely that's the the easy path for them.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, think that's the la- I think that's the last. That's the last thing uh, on Scotland's mind at the moment. Having having made every single quarter final in a World Cup, <clears throat> to not to be under pressure, we'd probably let. us be honest. Uh, the best side that Scotland have had in a long time. Um, yeah. uh, uh, you know, on paper, this is definitely. You can't, just, you can't just sit here and go on paper this is the best Scotland side we've had. They've got to perform. And ultimately, they didn't against Ireland. They did against Samoa. Uh, they're back, uh, back on the horse now, and they just need to keep that going. Um, they can't think about New Zealand, whether they get New Zealand or not the quarterfinals. That, that's too, too distant away. They've just got to make sure they put themselves in a position, come that Japan game, um, with 20 minutes to go, that they're in the driving seat, and they can, they can win by more than seven. And you know, that's what their focus will be. Um, it's very difficult with how they're performing, uh, to, to actually be confident and sit here and say, yeah, they're definitely going to do it. Um, I'm hopeful they'll do it. Um, but, but let's see. Let's see how they perform on, on Wednesday and, and that first 40, 50 minutes against uh, Japan.
3: Yeah, because I'll just put this to you, uh, fighter Hugo, I mean, a very short turnaround for Scotland. It happens to someone, it just happens to be Scotland this time. But one of the things about Japan, barring the sort of nervous opening uh, salvos of the very first game, which we know can happen, for me, bar New Zealand, their basic skills have been better, more consistently than nearly every other team I can think of. You know oh, the, the amount yeah. of handling errors that they haven't made compared to others. You know the clinical uh, direction of their rucking, the tackling behind the gain line, the legitimate, legal, you know, low tackling, and so on, have been absolutely exemplary. And I, I just wonder, when you look at the two teams, where you think Scotland have a particular edge that might make the difference.
0: Uh, as I said to you before, I think I think Scotland. I think one on one, it's a pretty even even match. I think uh, if you look across, I mean, in terms of individual flair, I think the wingers for Japan have been have looked absolutely electric. Um, I think if you give them space, that, that's going to be an area where Scotland have to have to put They're going to have to turn the wingers. They're going to have to play territory against Japan. They don't want to be giving them easy front football in the, in the middle of the pitch. Um, that's one area for me. So the kicking game is going to be absolutely vital. Finn Russell, Stuart Hogg, we're um, going to have huge roles to play in that. But I also think with Japan, you have to slow down that ball. So the back row for Scotland is going to be, and I know it sounds obvious, uh, and Bobby will know all about this, but it's, it's one thing that's going to be a huge area um, that, that Jamie Ritchie, Blade Thompson, and uh, uh, Magnus Bradbury, because those guys are going to play. They've been rested for, for for Wednesday against Russia. They're going to have a huge role. And I thought they made a difference against Samoa. I think they they had a, that back row combination was, was, was really solid and really, um, yeah, Stifled, uh, stifle the the Samoan attack. I think that's going to be a huge area for me. Slow down the ball, their efficiency. Japan then then gets nullified, and, and it becomes a lot harder. They've got to make things happen out of nothing, and that's where I, I think they've had it on a play. They've got their forwards for me. Japan, which is an area maybe people thought they wouldn't be able to match up with other nations, their forwards have been absolutely outstanding, yeah. and it's created opportunities for for the wingers they have. You know, I think Tamura fly half played wise controlled the game well. And they've got some big centres. So they've created an amazing platform. Scotland have to stop and notify that.
3: Great to speak to you. We won't have long to find out where we go, but uh, thanks very much.
0: Thanks a lot. Cheers, guys.
3: Well, we'll finish off with South Africa. I haven't really mentioned them. To a certain extent, them and... New Zealand they have gone their separate ways. The games in the pool have been, you know, uh, givens within reason. It uh, gets a little bit harder. Um, how happy have you been with what you've seen so far?
2: Well, I, you know, I think disappointed with the opening game against New Zealand. But m- more with more with the result than anything else. Because, you know, you're playing the number, number one team in, in the world. I don't think they started badly. I don't think they finished badly. I think they were in that game. It was a, a ten-pointer. They've, they've come close. I would say that I took a lot of positives out of their their uh, win um against Italy. I I thought they were much better. They they um they executed what they wanted to do. They made very very few um mistakes and they put themselves in a position at I think 23 or 27 3 ahead. You know, Italy got a red card and then the game, you know, um I think sort of deconstructed because of that, so it was difficult for for, for both sides. But they they continued to to play a, a an abrasive upfront forward um, pattern of carrying the ball and then using the the backside wide once they've got the ball. So, I think they were they were good. I think they they would find themselves in a in a positive place against Canada. Um, you know the Canadians are, are have got abrasive strong. Uh, forwards, uh, they haven't been scrumming that well, so South Africa will want to test themselves against that scrum. Um, there are a couple of players in the South African team who haven't had as much game time, so Rossi will be pleased he can he can switch in a few players um, and he can play a couple more of his of his uh, combinations um, and try them out because I think they would they would guess that. You know the best chance. Uh, you know they've they've qualified already. The best best chance they they can give the the sort of let's call it the the midweek players um, is to have a, a good outing against Canada and then be challenging if they are, are to be part of the test going forward.
3: Relatively straightforward on the field. A couple of issues seemingly going on off the field. Um, Makazoli uh, P P. Um, so, being cl- excluded or not included from post match celebrations after the win over Italy, what was all this? Oh, all this about? It, you know,
2: it's, I mean, South Africa and race politics. I mean, how can you, you can't say those words without the other one being a part of it. Unfortunately, uh, I think something's been, there's a bit of a storm in a teacup. Um, there's two, two separate incidents. Uh, a year ago, um, Makazali Mpimpi was playing on the, the right wing, um, Jesse Creel and Andre Esthazen were playing uh, 12. And 13 um, in South Africa, uh, even since I was playing, and before uh, when you line up for the anthems, you line up in, in order. So, yeah. you know, the wings will, will uh, be uh, separated out, it'll be 10 and that 11, will, yeah. and, then, yeah. and then 12 and 13 will be together. You're a center partner, etc. So, what happened was they basically just were a little bit late for the anthem, um, came into the setup, and Mapimpi was standing between Esther and Creel. So, Esther moved him around to be next to. Uh, his player now what they've done is dragged that out of the archives and said oh look the white players are pushing the back player around they don't want to be next to him it's got nothing to do with what happened in this game. And in this game, um, he, he, he's come out on social media and he said, listen, we call ourselves, coming off the bench, I had a great chance to start, but coming off the bench, we call ourselves the bomb squad. We want to come in, we want to defuse any bad situation, we want to create a good finish for, for the team. We've, we've got a hashtag, we've got a, a WhatsApp group, we've got a, you know, we, can, we need to help the, the starting 15 win these games. He said, I realised I'd started, so when the bomb squad... Are, Together and they do a guaijo dance. It's an amazing thing. It's a heavily cultural uh, indication of what they care about. South Africa in the background. It's not his place to be dancing in it, so he stood out of it. Now someone has gone and tried to measure these two incidents together and said there's a there's a racial mm-hmm. problem in this team. I think I literally think it's it's absolutely a whole lot of hot air, and I and I hate it when somebody's looking for attention trying to do something well, like
3: that. What about the uh, Edzabeth story? Because that's carrying on. You know, he was. Accusations of alleged assault and racism—they've not, they've not really been put to bed. Why is that carrying on?
2: I think a, a little bit the same. It you know every newspaper in South Africa right now has got the Springboks on it. Um, if there's an incident that hasn't been put to bed, they're going to try and and cause as much trouble as they can. I don't know the details of the of that incident. I know that South Africa's heavily regulated by the Truth and Reconciliation Committee on the one side and then the Human Rights Committee on the other who will jump in whenever they can. And remember, the media is a great place for them with the proliferation of of sharing on social media and the platforms. What what better way to to cause a ruckus than on media? So I I feel that whatever the, the outcome there it has to be sorted out, absolutely. I'm not sure that it has to be sorted out right in the middle of a Rugby World Cup while the national team is on duty.
3: Qualifying opponents, one of three, who do you think is likely, do you care?
2: Well, I do care, actually, and <laughs> I, I've got such an, a great affiliation with Scottish rugby. I made my debut there, and, and, I, and I love everything that they stand for. At the moment, I, I think that, that, that just the way they've played, how they've been... Um, hosting everybody and what they've done for world rugby. I I would love to play Japan in the quarterfinals. I think it would be a a big challenge. Um, You know, If there was going to be another upset, we're the team that they could do it against. They might have that kind of uh, belief. But I would imagine that 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 would be an absolute cracker of of an occasion. Um, It would
3: be an enormous disappointment for them and I think nearly every other neutral if they were to win three again and not get out of a group
2: well exactly and, and, and for that reason uh, I, you know adding to to sort of my case I, I want them to get through and, and I'm happy to, to play against them
3: well that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's full contact in association with the Telegraph and Mitsubishi Motors I hope you got chapter and verse on the permutations on who might or might not come out of the Scotland, Ireland and Japan group. It's very straightforward. No, it's not. Thank you very much to my co-host Bob Skinstad and to all our guests, of course. We'll be back next Monday when we will know the lineup for all four quarterfinal matches, so make sure you tune in. In the meantime, why not subscribe to the podcast to make sure you don't miss an episode during the Rugby World Cup and beyond. Whilst you're there, why don't you write a review too? But for now, goodbye.